you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn, in, turn in them to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 31. In fact, why don't we just go ahead and start with reading there. So let's look at Hebrews... Well, no, let's don't. Let me, let me start with this. Sorry about that. Late one night in early May 2011... A preacher by the name of Jerry DeWitt was lying in bed in DeRitter, Louisiana. When his phone rang, he picked it up and he heard an anguished, familiar voice. It was Natosha Davis, a friend and a parishioner in a church where DeWitt had preached for more than five years. His, her brother had been in a bad motorcycle accident, she said, and he might not survive. DeWitt knew what she wanted for him to pray for her brother. It was the kind of call he had taken many times during his 25 years of pastoral ministry. But now he found that the words would not come. He comforted her as best he could, but he couldn't bring himself to invoke God's help. Sensing her disappointment, he put the phone down and found himself sobbing. He was 41 and had spent almost his entire life in or near DeRitter, a small town in the heart of the Bible Belt. And all he had ever wanted was to be a comfort and support to the people he grew up with, but now a divide stood between him and them. He could no longer hide his disbelief. He walked into the bathroom, stared at himself in the mirror, and here's what he says, I remember thinking... Who on this planet has any idea what I'm going through? DeWitt told the, uh, the reporter of, the, of this article. And as his wife slept, he fumbled through the darkness for his laptop and after a few quick searches with the terms pastor and atheist, he discovered that there was a small industry of atheist outreach, outreach groups that had grown up in the past few years. And within days, he joined the online network called Clergy Project, created for pastors who no longer believe in God and want to communicate anonymously through secure, a secure website. DeWitt is somewhat famous for his apostasy from the gospel. And he's even written a book about it. And here's the book, Hope After Faith, an ex-pastor's journey from belief to atheism. And he even comes up with five steps for that you can follow, that you can go from being a confident believer in God to an atheist. And I find it interesting that these five steps are these. First of all, realize and focus on God loves everyone. Remember upstairs when I talked about those who had never heard that universalism begins with that? Guess what number two is? He, he First, he led to the conclusion that God loves everyone without exception and not in the way the Bible says. Then he came to the conclusion God saves everyone because after all, if God loves everyone, then he's going to save everyone. Then he went to the point where God is in everyone. And finally, or fourthly, God is everyone's internal dialogue. In other words, you're just kind of interacting with yourself, but really that's God. And finally, God is a delusion. 
And so, you know we've said that apostasy in this course is a slow fade. And basically, he's taking you through those steps. Well, I share that because apostasy is a reality. And whenever, just even last week, teaching last week and talking about this topic with people, inevitably someone's going to say, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? Because why? We all know people often loved ones who are in this circumstance. So let's read again the warning passages in Hebrews, because Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, really does address this issue. So let's take a look at it. And this is what we've been studying for the last couple weeks. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, and there's the idea of apostasy after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but what does remain? A terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses in the Old Testament dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment! Do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of a living God. Now, I want you to also look back at Hebrews 6, because we know there's five warning passages, but the two most severe ones are the ones I just, the one I just read, warning number four, and this one, warning number three. So turn to Hebrews 6, 1 through 12, and let's read that one as well, because we're going to refer to it a little bit today. Notice Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. In other words, the initial things you need to know to accept Christ. Of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those, now here comes the warning of apostasy. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. You see how, again, this idea that when you turn your back on Christ, you shame Him, you dishonor Him. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles... It is worthless and close to being cursed, meaning 
it will be cursed and its cursing is near and it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking this way. In fact, go back to chapter 10 now. Because in chapter 10, he gives that reassuring word after the stern warning. In verse 32 of chapter 10, he says, Remember the former days. But drop down to verse 39. He says this, or maybe let's, let's go to 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Drop down to 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now, as you read these, the warnings are severe, and yet the question becomes, who is he really talking about? I mean, should I be concerned? Or should I not be concerned? Am I of those that fall away? Or am I of those that he is confident will not fall away? So that's what we want to see. Now, the big idea of what Romans 10, 26 through 31 is talking about is this. Confidence to enter in to God's holy presence is shown by taking bold action to remain loyal. The theme of the warning passages in Hebrews is remain loyal. If there's one thing I know about today's lesson, that may be the only thing I just told you. It means remain loyal. And what's the big idea? Let's see if you remember from last week. The person who does what? Who falls away from the faith is sure to fall into God's fiery wrath. The person who falls away from the faith is sure to fall into the fiery judgment of the living God. Now, in this passage, we've been asking questions so that we can properly apply this passage not only to our lives, but to the lives of others. And last week, we asked two initial questions, and here they are. What is the sin in this warning? And we said it's the deliberate, persistent sin of what? Anybody? Apostasy. Apostasy, okay? So that lesson is online. You can see that what that is. It's falling away from the faith you once embraced, all right? And in this passage, it's falling away from Jesus as our great high priest and his sacrifice that's sufficient for our sins and saying, yes, I once believed that, but now I walk away. The second question we asked last week was, how does this persistent, deliberate sin of apostasy happen? And we said apostasy is a what? Is a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And so on this handout, if you got, got, got one of these handouts, Randy's there. If you don't, he'll give you one. So just raise your hand if you don't have this. And you can see kind of the overview on the side that says the progression, punishment, and pattern of a slow fade. And so that kind of reviews what we looked at last week and just kind of gives you the idea of these five warning passages. But here's what we want to do this morning. Turn over that paper that you have. And what we want to do this morning 
is look at four different views of the warning passages in Hebrews. You say, why don't you just tell me the one you believe? Because I'm not sure. That's why. And so the best thing to do was to tell you, here's the options. And I say that because this is a very hard passage. One of the hardest passages, these warning passages are one of the hardest in the New Testament, and I have pretty much surrendered to them. Um, the only other time I felt this way was when we did 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul talked about being baptized for the dead. Do you remember that? And I said, basically, I don't know. No one else knows. And I taught a lesson on what do you do when you encounter a passage you don't know? Well, you come up with a lesson so because you don't know. Okay. Well, let's look at this. Here's the, here's the critical question. We're going to ask two critical questions this morning. And here's the first one. Who is being warned not to commit apostasy? Who is being warned? This is the hardest, most critical question. Who is being addressed? And as you answer that, it begins to impact these other issues. All right? And so let's begin with that. Who is being addressed? And I just want you to see... Look at verse 26 again, chapter 10, 26. And notice the author includes himself with his hearers. And he says, for if we go on sinning willfully. Now, wait a minute, that should freak you out. Because even though we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, we know he's a man of God who is inspired, eternally secure, and uh, believes what the Bible teaches, right? And... He's including the hearers. But he says this, If we, including myself, go on sinning willfully after receiving the truth, if we apostatize, there is no more hope for us. That should raise a, you know, some questions in your mind. Yet, go to verse 39. By the time he's done, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. So you kind of want to ask yourself, well, which is it? Are we, should we be concerned or should we be secure? And if we're secure, why do we need to be concerned? Do you see the tension? Shake your head because if you don't, the rest of this lesson is not going to make sense. Okay, So that's the tension right there. Okay, now... Without a doubt, this is the hardest single question. And if you just studied one passage, like originally I just studied the passage, Hebrews 10, because that's the series is about Hebrews 10. And I came away going, why are people so freaked out about this? I know exactly what's going here. And then I studied some more and I realized, no, you've got to study all five passages. And whoa, all of a sudden you study all five and I'm like, okay. Uh, I kind of have to study some more. I better research this a little more. I better think on this a little more. And that's all I've been doing, and I'm still doing it. Because once you take all the evidence and put it together, it's not really very clear. Now, I'm not saying that other people are not much more confident about, than I am about who these warnings are addressed to. We're going to look at four different views, and let me tell you, these guys are pretty convinced of their view, they're pretty convinced of theirs, and they're pretty convinced of theirs, and they're pretty convinced of theirs. But, when it comes to these warning passages, 
The more confident someone is that they absolutely know for sure the right interpretation, I would say to you one of three things, if not all, are going on. I would say people that are very, very confident saying, I absolutely know it's this one or this one or this. doesn't matter which one. But if you're really super confident and kind of poo-poo everybody else for their ideas, then you are probably repeating a viewpoint that you were taught but you never studied the warning passages. In other words, I've always been told, therefore, for like in our case, most of us came from backgrounds, we're eternally secure, so it's, it's this. You know, he's got to be addressing unbelievers because after all, believers can't lose. You see what I'm saying? So you're probably repeating a viewpoint you were taught, but you never studied this out. Secondly, you are probably reading a theology that you already hold and reading it into these passages. Well, because I know you could never lose your salvation, then I know, you know, you're not struggling with the passage. Or three, you're just simply refusing to acknowledge that each of these views have certain valid things to say. And that's the problem. Because usually when you go to the Bible, listen, I don't want you to think, every passage doesn't have a multitude of views. Usually the reason there's a multitude of views is because people haven't studied the Scriptures or they haven't submitted to the Scriptures. And when you study them and you submit to them, you realize, wow, there's one view that rises to the top. And therefore, us preachers and teachers can have confidence week in, week out. But every once in a while, and this is one of them, you go, you know what? They got something to say here. Which makes, should make all of us a little uncomfortable. And yes, I did read our doctrinal statement. But you know what? It's not our doctrinal statement. It's the Bible that is the final authority. And so what I'm trying to say to you is in all humility, and though it's very hard, I hate, I hate saying this, but out of humility and the authority of scriptures, I have to say to you, I'm not quite sure what's going to go on in this. I just don't know. I waited all week, actively studying, hoping that God was going to say, I was going to find the key. I didn't find the key. So what I'm saying to you is, now, I'm not saying I don't have a clue what's going on here. Although, you may conclude that I don't. And guess what? You're entitled to those opinions. But I'll tell you this. When you come to passages like this, it's always much easier to show the people that are wrong than it is to state to you what I think is right. So my confusion is what I, how to explain what I think is going on, but I am not confused about the views that are wrong. Because I think Scripture speaks clearly to that. All right, have I given you enough disclaimers that I can proceed? All right, I had to do that, Kim, at least for myself, if not for everyone else. So here's, here's what we're going to do. First of all, who has already committed the sin? So before we identify them, let's just say, who has already committed the sin in this book? And let me say clearly, no one has done it yet. As you read through these five warnings... No one has done it yet. He does not address anyone and say, you 
have apostatized. Therefore, you will never be saved. Okay? He just doesn't do that. So, no one yet. The closest that anyone has come to in this book so far is in chapter 10, where he says in verse 25, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, as is the habit of some, because that is a big indicator on the process of the slow fade. Who is being warned? That's the question. So here we go. Are you ready? Who is being warned? Here's the four views, right? So you got the first view is the loss of salvation view. The loss of salvation view. Who is being addressed? People that hold this view will say true believers. And they will say, what is the sin? They get this right. This is right. Apostasy. But what they say is, you're falling away from the salvation you once possessed. In other words, this view does not hold to eternal security. They would not teach once saved, always saved. They would say once saved, maybe saved. As long as you don't apostatize. And what is the judgment? It's eternal damnation, the loss of salvation you once had. View number one. View number two, well, if you, believe, if you believe in eternal security, that view makes you very uncomfortable, am I right? So, there are people who believe in eternal security that go to the other extreme and say, you know what, these guys have a strong argument. It's so strong, let's just say it doesn't talk about salvation at all, it talks about losing Rewards, the loss of rewards view, okay? And so again, true believers, they both agree. He's talking to true believers. But what is the sin? The sin is not apostasy as much as immaturity. Listen, if you fall away, not from rejecting Christ so much, but if you quit growing in your Christian life, if you quit going to church, reading your Bible, if you do those things, falling away from fruitfulness, then you're going to lose temporal blessings of living for God and even the loss of eternal rewards that you could have earned. But this view... They are so strong on eternal security. They are so strong that once you are justified they are by faith that nothing, you know, God kicks in and immediately saves you to an extent that nothing you do could ever change that. They go so far as to say, actually, your immaturity could go to the point of apostasy. Believers can quit believing and you're still saved. Believers can quit living for God and live like the devil in an unending depth of depravity and they are still saved. So what you find is the sin is not just immaturity as you find in Hebrews 6. The sin is you can even be in, there is no such thing in this view of anyone being apostate. Because you have believers who don't believe. You've got followers who don't follow and can even forsake the faith. Believers who don't believe and can even blaspheme the Lord. Trample on Him, as in Hebrews 10. Trample on Him. 
they can declare the blood of the cross useless, worthless, and of no value, and they can reject and despise the Holy Spirit and His grace. So you have disciples who defy their master and deny the gospel and yet are still saved. Now, some of you got to look on your face like, that's crazy talk. But I can show you the books. And I can point you to the believers. And a lot of them are kind of in the camp, the tribe, that might be our background a little bit. So what's lost is not eternal salvation, but what's lost is temporal blessings. God will make life miserable for you. Loss of eternal rewards, not salvation, but rewards that you could have earned. But all, And also, there will be, as in Hebrews 12, the Father will discipline you, and He will discipline your life, possibly even taking your life because you're dishonoring His name. Some of these guys even believe that you'll miss out on the millennial kingdom. You'll have a time out in the kingdom. You don't get to reign. You don't get to rule with Christ because you were unfaithful. Some of these guys even go so far as say, you say, well, where are, they gonna, where are these believers going to hang out? They kind of call it, they suggest, they, they know not to go that far, but they suggest an evangelical purgatory, because that's really purgatory. You died, you didn't behave in this life, you didn't live for me, and so now you need to get a little time out time. Except it's not just time out sitting on a mat, it's time out and spanking. It's like the double whammy, Aaron. We didn't have time out when I grew up. We had to spank it. Well, this is like being in timeout and getting the spanking on the mat while you don't get to be a part of the kingdom. And then, having been suffered sufficiently, you get to join everybody in the new creation. All right? Loss of rewards view. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying everyone believes that in this view, but it leads to that. It leads to that. Second, Third view, test of genuineness. Test of genuineness. That's what it goes by officially. You, you could also say test of salvation. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's a test of whether you're really saved. Test of salvation. Now, here's where there's a difference. The difference is because this group also believes in eternal security or the security of the believer that God preserves and protects believers... They say the people being addressed are false believers with temporary faith. Okay? And the writer is not just writing to as if everybody's a believer. He knows there's unbelievers. And, and whenever he's doing the warning passages, it's like, attention, you false believers out there, check and see if you're really saved. And by the way, that's a biblical concept. The question is, is it being taught here? And can you do it? The sin is, again, apostasy, but it's falling away from a salvation you said you have, but you never really possessed. So do you see the difference here? Here, you really had it, and now you really don't. Here, you thought you had it, you think you have it, but in reality, you don't. And when you fall away, it proves you never did. So you need to make sure, look back, 
to your salvation, look back and evaluate your life and say, am I in or am I out? And the ju- the, the, what's the judgment? These folks prove to be unbelievers because they fall away. And because they're unbelievers, you get eternal judgment, not just loss of rewards. Make sense? Are you all with me? Or are you all thinking, why in the world did we come today? All right, view number four, the means of salvation. The means of salvation view. And these two, all three of these last views believe that the God will preserve and protect the believer. These guys are overdosing on it. Once saved, always saved. Live any way you want. Believe any way you want. You shouldn't. There's consequences, but you can. These guys say, once saved, always saved to persevere. Yeah, you're saved. You're always saved, but you're saved to persevere. Better make sure that you're saved. And if you're not, pres- if you're not persevering, and yet you keep claiming, you need to go back and check. These guys also believe, once saved, always saved, but saved to persevere, but also to press on. And so, means of salvation, they too, the difference is they say these are addressed to true believers. So, you get this thing, what's the sin? It's apostasy. But the point is, he's addressing true believers and he's saying, look, true believers, a part of being a true believer is persevering, a part of God securing your salvation as He enables you to persevere. So keep persevering. Don't look back. Press forward. The issue is not to go introspective. The issue is to keep focusing. Remember when we did the Psalms of Ascent and you're on a journey? Well, guess what? Hebrews is all about a people on a journey to salvation. Remember Hebrews 12? You're in a race. See, we don't get that concept of salvation being a race a lot. We think it's a, it's a gift, which it is, and I received it in the past, and it's always mine. God said so. And He can't take it from me, or He's a liar. And that's all true. But salvation is not just a gift. It's a prize that we are to be running for. And if you haven't figured it out, those of you who are saved here today, we haven't gotten it all yet. We have it in Christ. It's promised. It's an inheritance reserved in heaven. But looking at you all, and you all looking at me, you know. Anybody that went to the marriage seminar knows we don't have it all yet. Or you missed the whole seminar. So the idea, the difference here is these guys say, hey, look back and figure out if you're saved. These guys say, look, you are saved. Look forward. And what happens is by not falling away, you not only prove to be, you prove not to be unbelievers, but you show yourself to be true believers. It's a positive moving forward for all true believers. Now, some of you have that look that I have when I'm thinking through these two. All I'm telling you is there's... That's all I'm telling you, is there they are. Now, okay, let's keep moving, keep moving. Okay, so let's look. Here's eight observations. You know Chris doesn't know 
what really the Bible's saying when he starts giving you eight observations instead of flat-out biblical principles. Okay, so here's your observations. Are you ready? Are you with me? All right, and I'm going to try, Lord willing, to give us some time for questions, okay? And I may decide I don't want to, so we'll see. Number one, see, I can really control, I can, I, I can do that. There are, uh, there are other views, but these are the main ones, and they're simple. So there's other views, okay? So, you know, I know some of you know there's six out there, there's seven. You're saying, why is he? No. There's other views, and I'm doing a simplified, but I think I can, I can defend, and I think, you know, there might be pushback from, there wouldn't be, the only people that would push back is these guys. I think I fairly presented it, and I think I fairly presented them. Number two, there are theological systems behind all of these that undergird and shape each of these views. But I have chosen not to use those labels, some of which are Arminian, Calvinism, all, you know, and some of you say, I don't even know what he's talking about, and that's why I'm not using the labels. Others of you say, I know what he's talking about, and I don't like some of those labels, and, and if those labels are associated with some of these views, then I don't want anything to do with the views, and that's not the right way. So, view number one is usually held by people, shocker, People that believe the rest of the Bible understand the rest of the Bible to teach that you can lose your salvation. So guess what? They come to these warning passages, and what do they think? They teach loss of salvation. Does that make sense? These folks, actually, well, these folks tend to believe and understand that the Bible leads them to think true believers can never lose their salvation, but they believe that to such a degree that once saved, always saves means always save to live any way you want. You shouldn't, but you can. That you can, once you're saved, it, it, remember the basketball player from last week that said, ta-da, don't witness to me. I did all that when I was a kid. Now I'm shacking up, living a crazy, I've rejected Jesus, but I'm okay either way. The third view, the third and fourth view is undergirded by people and is held by people that believe that their understanding of the Bible, they think that true believers never lose their salvation, but also true believers will persevere in their faith. In other words, these two views say, yes, the Bible, they, they wouldn't really put it this way, but the Bible does teach once saved, always saved, but you're saved to persevere. You're saved to keep believing. Are you ready? Believers believe. That's part of the definition. Followers follow. Right? And so you're saved to persevere. You're saved to run the race and not only run it, but finish the race. Does that make sense? And so these guys... Their theological system, the guys that are attracted to this, will often say like the reformers. Remember when we taught through the five solas that uh, Calvin said, uh, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. These guys would say saving faith saves, and because God does it, that settles it. 
Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, number three, views one and two are the simplest to explain and understand. If the rest of the Bible would let me, I'd be right here. Was that heretical? I hope not. I'm just saying to you that if, uh, let me put it this way, if all I had was the book of Hebrews, I would have a tendency to think, well, this is it. But I know there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole other rest of the Bible that has to, you don't study these things in isolation. You begin with the book of Hebrews, but then you have to correlate it with the rest of the Bible, right? Because God wrote the whole thing and God doesn't stutter and God doesn't contradict himself. So there's somewhere I'm not... So if I think this view is out of Hebrews, but I have to go to Romans 8 that says, God works all the things together for good and those he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified, and it's a done deal. What can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing, including ourselves. So... But this view is really easy to understand. You're a believer, and if you fall away, you lost it. Man, I wish I could just teach that so simply today, but I can't. Okay? Number two is real easy. Number two is easy because everybody's saved, and so that's a settled issue. The problem is, you, to try to teach this from the book of Hebrews, or really any place else in the Bible, is near impossible. The judgment, uh, we'll see if we get to it next week. But once we really look at the fiery judgment of people who commit this sin, the idea that all you're losing are some eternal rewards just will not hold up. It won't hold up to the vocabulary. It won't hold up to the intensity. Okay, Easy to understand, just not biblical in my opinion, based on the evidence of Scripture. Number five. View number four is harder to understand, or I'm sorry, uh, number four, looking at view number three. Number three is harder to prove from the book of Hebrews because it does not take the descriptions of those being addressed in the warning passages at face value and sees them as false believers. But it is consistent with passages that are taught elsewhere. The New Testament clearly teaches that there are false believers in local churches. The New Testament clearly teaches that there's people that profess, give evidence, and then they fall away. You ever heard the story of the four soils? If you go to Luke chapter 8, there's this hard soil that Satan uh, 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 takes the seed out of the heart. But then there's the rocky soil that has ground, and the Word of God falls on the heart of that person, and there's enough dirt There's enough ground there for something to pop up, but underneath is rock hard. And it says they believe for a while. And then when temptation comes, the word is used, they fall away. Proving, I believe, that they were never saved. So this is valid. The problem is, when you look at Hebrews, he's saying we, you, us, true believers. So it just, it just doesn't seem to be as clean and fit. Number five, observation. View number four is harder to understand. So this one's hard to prove from Hebrews. This one is just plain hard to understand. 
And yet I think that might be one of the most, that might be the most accurate one. It's harder to understand because basically what's happening is he's addressing true believers, which notice three out of the four views take it that way because the evidence pushes you that way. But he's warning true believers that will never fall away, don't fall away. And some people say, that's hypothetical, that's crazy talk, you're just trying to avoid this. And maybe some people are. You know, some theologians, some teachers, right? But it sees them. Now, look at number six. This is important. Sixth observation. Views three and four take seriously the tension. Let's all say that word. The tension. Now, let's say it a little bit louder and energetically. The tension. Oh, that was good. They take seriously the tension about salvation being secure and organic. In other words, you can't separate sanctification from justification, from glorification. It's one organic whole. You don't get to buy in on I'm saved by faith, justified by faith. But sanctification is an option. And yet I still get the promise of glorification. It sees salvation. These two views see salvation as secure for true believers. They see it organic, but they also see it, especially view number four, they see it as dynamic. You say, what do you mean? That once I'm saved, I'm eternally secure, but I also have, according to the new covenant, a new heart. And God's word is written on my heart. I have a new want to. I have a new ability to not only want to do what God says, but I can do what God says. And God's spirit and God's promises and God's son will propel me in a dynamic fashion to do it. Now, does that mean we don't stumble? No, it doesn't mean we don't stumble. Does it mean we don't sin? No. Does it mean, as we said last week, does it mean we don't even fall into seasons of sin? No, you could all of dynamic. It's like your life. This view is like your life as a true believer. This view is what it's like if you're an unbeliever. I get that. But I think what's going on in Hebrews is he's saying, look, keep moving forward. And yet I'm warning you, true believer, if you do fall away, this is what's going to happen. Now, let's keep moving. How do these different views... So, everybody has this tension. Okay, everybody has to deal with the tension. How do they deal with it? Well, let's look at it. View 1 addresses this t- tension. This view addresses the tension between God's power. Because, by the way, you got 1 Peter 1.5. We are protected by the power of God. So, what protects us? The power of God. But how does He do it? Through faith. Do you see the tension? God's power our faith. God's power, our faith. That's a tension. So how do they deal with this tension? View 1 addresses the tension between God's power and our persevering faith by making our salvation ultimately depend on the perseverance of our faith. The problem with this view is ultimately our security is dependent on who? Who? Us. Yes, very good. Number 2. View number two addresses the tension by eliminating it. Isn't that sweet? Hey, there's a tension here. Let's just take us out of the picture. Totally. 
We just take us eliminating, eliminating the need to persevere and teaching that faith was a decision made in the past that once it's made, God's power kicks in and we no longer have to persevere in a faith that obeys the Lord. You ought to. You'll have a better life. You'll have more rewards. You won't go to evangelical purgatory during the kingdom, but you don't have to. The choice is yours. Okay? View 3 and 4 addresses this tension by making our salvation ultimately depend on God's power, which enables us to persevere. So God's power in protecting our salvation is uses our faith to encourage us to persevere. Now, let's go to observation 8. There's more. Oh, and let me just say this at this point. I think Hebrews is doing both these things. I think Hebrews is doing both these things. I think the confusion is because he is addressing the fact that there may be some unbelievers, but his focus is on, hey, you true believers, keep running the race. Keep running the race. And when people fall out, They prove that they were never saved. But you keep running the race. Keep running the race. Why? Because persecution was coming. And I'm telling you, here in our culture in America, and our Nigerian brother and sister can tell us, persecution starts cleaning out the church. That doesn't mean all Nigerian Christians are sinless. At least I I don't think so, does it? No, okay. Just, Just... Checking, Emmanuel. Checking. But what it means is this. When persecution comes, you, the fake guys quit playing church. All right? Okay, so let's look at number eight. Every view has difficulties that are hard to explain. So the issue is which view has the least difficulties, least difficulties, and best explains the context? Which view has least difficulties and best explains? the context in Hebrews and the entire Bible. View number one. So this view struggles with the sovereignty of God. It struggles with the sovereignty of God's power and the security of His promises. I can't, even though Hebrews may push you in this direction, the rest of the Bible points you in another direction. All right? So here's the thing. Because I hold all the Bible is written by God, this just can't be it. This can't be it, but we ought to listen to people because they they got a handle on a, a lot of things that are going on in the book that these people don't, okay? But when I look at Romans 8, I look at John 8, John 10, I can't go there, okay? I don't, I don't th- they have a problem with the sovereignty because here's the deal. They'll say, yeah, you're kept by the power of God as long as you believe. Well, guess what? That puts me, okay? And I don't think anybody here wants your salvation depending on your faith, on your ability to live. And a lot of these people, a lot of this view, ends up saying it's kind of any sin. So you're constantly wondering, how bad did I sin? Am I in? Am I out? And if you ever interacted with people from these kind of denominations, their, their lives are, it's just miserable. It's miserable. Okay, number two. Uh, the second view struggles with the severity of God's judgment. 
this, okay, I'm just losing rewards, then why does he keep telling me it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God who's a consuming fire? That doesn't sound like a loss of rewards. Okay, so they struggle with sovereignty. These guys struggle with severity of the warnings. Remember, I said there's a five-fold pattern. It's on here. Five-fold pattern to the warnings. And by looking at the whole pattern is how you help work through this. Okay. Number three, view number three struggles with the salvation descriptions. This view struggles with the fact that it seems like over and over the author says you really are true believers. Plus, listen, if this view is the main idea of these passages, then the answer would not be keep persevering in your falsehood in your fake faith, it would be, get saved. You wouldn't tell them, keep pers- hold fast. Hey, you, 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 uh, you're getting, Jerry's getting, he's, he's like, yeah, that's crazy. So, what, how does he end each warning? He always ends, but I think better of you. Keep persevering. Whereas, if he was really focusing on false believers, he'd say, check and make sure you're, Election is sure, and and check it out. And if not, run to Christ, run to Christ, run to Christ. That's not what he's saying. Number four, struggles with the seriousness of the warnings. Why would you warn people so seriously if if they are true believers? Do you get it? All right. I made it, at least to the first point. So, you will come back. Write down your questions. Right now, take 30 seconds. Write down any question you have. 30 seconds. Write down any question you have. And then you come back next week. And we will look at why I think the Lord... Why would you warn? Why would you warn true believers to not fall away if they can never fall away? That is a serious objection. But I think there's a biblical answer. But I want you to write down questions. And so next week we'll come and we'll start with those questions. Sound good? Okay. Was it good to be here? And I'll end with this. In defense of, I think, what both of these are going on. If you've been in this series every week, which I hope all of you will and are. If you've been in this series, then you're probably like me teaching it. These warnings... Do something for me as a true believer. I haven't doubted my salvation the past month. But you know what I've been? I've been motivated. I've, been, I've seen a bigger view of God. And I've seen where there's some, some, uh, some apathy or some laziness, some slugger, sluggishness in my spiritual... I've been refreshed. In it. So you can already see... A warning that will I will not go to I am a true believer based on what Christ has done for me. But you know what? When I read this, I want to run faster. I want to run longer. And I want to finish the race. So that gives you a clue of what we're going to talk about next week. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come with a humility and a brokenness of heart, knowing that this is not academic It is not abstract. It affects our lives. And sadly, Lord, it affects people we love, sons and daughters, 
parents, spouses, cousins, friends, even pastors. And so, Lord, we, we would ask that your Spirit would make clear, first of all, where we stand in relation to you. That we would embrace the security, the promises, and the power of how you save us by your power as we place our faith in you. Giving us even the faith to persevere. But Lord, we pray for those who may have professed once and fallen away. And and Lord, we don't know, but you know. And we just ask, Lord, I ask for this church, I ask for this class, I ask for myself, I ask for my family, my friends, that we will persevere to the finish. We will run the race. We will not drop out. We will not fall away. We will not take lightly that you are an all-consuming fire. And by faith, we can embrace that fire and find comfort and assurance. But Lord, give us a brokenness this week for the lost people all around us who your wrath already rests upon them. God, give us a brokenness. Give us a passion to share the faith and the security and the hope of salvation in Jesus, our great high priest. In his name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, come back next week with your questions.